The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome in another episode of Between the Hashes. We are basically two days away, almost to the minute when we're recording this from college football returning, give or take a few minutes here. Uh, Week zero coming up this weekend, uh, last weekend of preseason. Uh, but this is Between the Hatches. As always, Cam Miller joined by Tony Pauline. Uh, I do want to say that today's show is being brought to you by Manscaped. Uh, 20%, get 20% off over at manscaped.com using a promo code, just simply PFN. And I'm not going to lie, Tony, they gave me the Manscaped uh, sample to, to sort of test out. I felt like Jerry Seinfeld in the episode where he goes in to adjust a minor discrepancy in his chest hair. Next thing I knew, good. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't part of the advertising campaign you have to uh, demonstrate for everyone how the Manscaped uh, tools are used here on the, on the uh, Between the Hashes podcast, Dreamcast? I think so. But like Kramer in the scene, I'd have to get out of camera angle before I showed you what happened here. So uh, as no the Jeffrey, expression no goes, uh, who, who no knows? If, maybe it'll help me come back thicker and fuller like the old wives still is, too, because that's where no, we're trying to go for here. No Jeffrey Tubin moments on this show. <laughs> there we go. Fair enough. So we'll keep it moving then. Well, we can talk about it more later if necessary, if we get to that point. But uh, yeah, week zero coming up. The college football landscape is ever changing, though, before we get into specifics. Oklahoma, Texas, obviously dominating the offseason storylines here, leaving the Big 12 or agreeing to and taking all the necessary steps to leave the Big 12. Odds are it doesn't happen until 2025, but they've agreed to get out, get rid of their media rights to the Big 12 and join the SEC. So, yeah, some big, big changes uh, in the near future for the college football landscape. Not a fan of it myself. I mean, I don't like these super conferences. I didn't like when the SEC just expanded enormously. You know, the days of the Big Eight and the, and the Southwest were, you know, they were fun days, but I, I just don't like. Uh, you know, these super conferences, it's going to be interesting. Uh, obviously, it helps Oklahoma uh, and Texas from their pocketbook point of view because they're going to bring in a lot more cash than they would in the Big 12. I think from a scouting point of view, although it's not, you know, not going to happen for a couple of seasons, we'll really get to see if Lincoln Riley is the quarterback kingmaker that he is pegged to be. I mean, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, obviously Spencer Rattler. You know, these are quarterbacks, except for Rattler, that uh, you know, especially with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, early picks in the draft, first pick of the draft. Jalen Hurts uh, had a real good year at Oklahoma, goes in the second round of the draft. I don't know that these guys have lived up to expectations in the NFL, although they are still in the early part of their career. Baker Mayfield seems to be uh, turning the corner. But now, you know, he's going to go into the SEC, uh, a, a conference where, you know, Teams like Georgia, Florida, LSU, their nickelbacks are as good as most of the starting cornerbacks, cornerbacks that Oklahoma faced uh, in the Big 12. So from a scouting perspective, it'll be interesting to see how the Lincoln-Riley quarterbacks do uh, once Oklahoma makes the move into the SEC. 
yeah, the SEC with multiple teams that claim DBU nowadays, their practice players are as good as or seemingly as good as some of the secondaries that they've faced. It's it's going to be an interesting I – mean, just not even just quarterbacks, but, I mean, seeing obviously Texas and Oklahoma, they can write their own checks, Texas specifically with their own TV network at this point. Why you do it you're, other than the money? You know, you're not going to make it to the college football playoff unless we expand the college football playoff, which maybe that's a sign of things to come. It's going to expand. But unless unless it's just money, you know, you're not going to have the a, a four loss Oklahoma team want to make the playoff over, you know, now an alliance team from the, the Pac-12, Big Ten and ACC school that's going to sit there, you know, 12, 11 wins. So I guess it's got to be all about money, but it's also going to be I find that what you just said too, sort of one of the more underlying and just interesting points about this is we're going to really test ourselves. So they're going to test themselves and see how, just how good the SEC stacks up against, you know, the other blue bloods from the Big 12. Yeah, and for some of the other schools, I mean, once Oklahoma leaves and Texas leaves the Big 12, I mean, Oklahoma State becomes really a second-rate program. And as far as Iowa State's concerned and their and their head coach, Matt Campbell, I mean, the future is now. If you want relevancy, if you play for Iowa State and you want relevancy in that football program, you got to win now. Uh, you got to win the two Big 12 championship because whenever Oklahoma and Texas, but more so Oklahoma, you know, leave for the SEC, what's going to happen with those teams? Yeah, and I saw. I think the report today they're looking, they're eyeing BYU and UCF and possibly yeah. Houston among others to join them. So, yeah, it's a it's a slim it's slim pickings from the group of five upper echelon group of five teams that they can pull. But I guess if you do pull in a BYU a UCF, Iowa State better run the table. Oklahoma State better run the table if they want to be considered the, the programs that they, I think that they they think that they are. But it, it leads us to the expansion of the college football playoff because I think. You know, arguably, if you're going to have a 12-team college football playoff, that's where an Oklahoma or a Texas, or for that rate, a Florida and a Georgia, make the playoff every year. You have Alabama, who's probably going to always be in there at this rate, because who are we to doubt Nick Saban? But then that's where you start to take these SEC, you know, a 16-team SEC conference with Texas and Oklahoma, a four-loss SEC team could likely get into a 12-team college football playoff at this rate. Is that maybe what we're they're eyeing or hoping for at that rate? Uh, well, what they're hiring and hoping is more money, you know, billions and billions of dollars of additional revenue. Again, I'm against the college football playoff. I like the way it is now. I think when you expand it, you know, it takes some of the urgency and the immediacy out of the season. You know, like you said, you can get into the play. If they expand the playoffs and you've got multiple losses, you can get into the playoffs. I, I don't like that. I like the way it is now. And, you know, we just saw what's happening with the uh, – with the image and likeness uh, rule for the players, you're going to expand these playoffs. Are you going to pay the players? I'm not for paying player college football players, but if you're going to expand the playoffs and the NC2A and these schools are going to pull in billions and billions of dollars of extra revenue and kids from Alabama are going to be playing 15, 16 game ske- uh, games a year on their schedule. When you look at the regular season schedule, the SEC title game, you know, the run to the national championship, same thing with Clemson. These kids are putting their body at risk with these extra games, and they're bringing in millions and millions of uh, billions, I should say, of dollars of extra revenue. What are the kids going to – what are the players going to get out of it? So I don't like the expanded uh, college football playoffs uh, possibility. I absolutely do not like it at uh, 12 uh, teams. If they expand it to 12 teams and the teams run through the playoffs, you know, I believe the players have to get paid. They've got to get some sort of stipend, some sort of bonus. They're out there every, you know, they're going to be out there playing uh, intense football, more intense than they do during the regular season, 
putting their potential NFL careers online uh, on the line. And we've seen it time and time again, especially with Alabama. You know, with guys who are on the field when they shouldn't be with injuries. We saw Jalen Waddle last year. They're in the national championship game. Max Chapman, a defensive lineman a couple of years ago. Guys who are on the field with injuries that ordinarily they should be not, not be on the field. And it ruins their next level career. I'm dead set against it for a variety of reasons. But if they do expand it, they got to compensate the player somehow. Yeah, they're also way outside of the school realm, too, because typically they're, they're collegiate athletes. They should be in college. You're talking about games in early, mid, and late December, all the way through early January. School's out the first week or second week of December, where depending on where you are, not back to that second week of January. So these kids don't go home. They don't have a chance if they need to, to, to work a job or anything as well. So I agree with you there 100%. And then also, because we've seen that, I guess, the trickling down effect of the opting out of bowl games for injuries that started the past few years. You know, even then you still get the bowl games sort of in a way paid the athletes to be there, whether it was like, you know, the best buy bowl and they're getting a best buy gift card. There was still some sort of reason to play in the bowl games. And now if you're a draft prospect, you're going to be out. But it's because of that risk. I I agree with you there. Give them some sort of incentive. You have to at this rate if you're going to play 15 to 16 games. That's just the way it's got to go, I think, at that point. It'll, it'll, be interesting it. see, it'll be interesting to see if it happens. I don't know if it's going to happen. But, again, uh, they're expanding it because of the additional revenue. And that revenue, some of that revenue, needs to filter down to the players. I'm against paying college players. I do think they should be given stipends. I do think they should be given free travel and things like that. But, you, you know, uh, when, when one side – it's so lopsided. When one side is just – you know, reaping the benefits and these other other side is basically putting their bodies on the line and potentially, uh, you know, putting their next level futures in the NFL if they have one, if they want one at risk. I, I, there's something wrong with that in my mind. I would agree with you 100 percent. And, you know, the earliest that I saw what the expansion would be 2023, the earliest that the SEC joined or has big uh, Texas and Oklahoma's 2025. So we're still a ways off. Let's hope that they get some sort of uh, reasoning to figure it out maybe an NCAA commissioner that I can actually do something. So let's switch gears. Let's go to the NFL preseason now. We're closing in before we get into the week zero of college football, actual meaningful games. We're playing preseason games this weekend as well. The last game of the preseason for a lot of players. It's the last game for 27 players on 32 NFL rosters because we go from 80 players to 53 players by next Tuesday. Before then, though, we've announced a couple of starting quarterbacks that uh, one is not a surprise. One, maybe not a surprise as well if you if you know the two quarterbacks, but Trevor Lawrence being a, quote, announced as a starting quarterback for Jacksonville over Gardner Minshew. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You know, a a lot of people kind of were skeptical about Urban Meyer being named as a head coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I know Trey Wingo has had his uh, his say about that at Trey Wingo Pro Football Network. I, I got to think, I, I got to say, I believe Urban Meyer has really not handled this Trevor Lawrence situation well, well at all. I mean, he should. He, there was no reason for a quarterback co- competition with Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is a nice, 
nice player. He's a novelty, but he's not a consistent NFL starting quarterback. He's a good guy to have behind Trevor Lawrence. But Trevor Lawrence should have been named the starter from week one. He should have been getting all the first team reps. He should have been getting all the, the majority of the time uh, during the preseason with the first team, a la what the Jets have done and done well with Zach Wilson. I, I just don't know what, you know why they had to wait two weeks into it to name Trevor Lawrence, who was everybody's favorite quarterback and who is the, the player that is the, the franchise of the Jacksonville Jaguars is pinning their hopes on to basically – you know, stop the losing and stop the bleeding. Should have been named as a, as a starter from week one, basically from the first day of camp, not week one, from the first day of camp, and then just taking it from there. If the if the offensive line was porous, if he was getting beat up, well, then you put Gardner Minshew in. There never should have been a quarterback competition. I think that's strike one against Urban Meyer. We'll see what happens moving forward. Yeah, it's one thing to have a proven veteran and then you draft to play a quarterback that maybe needs to come in and upseat the veteran. There's no answer at quarterback there's been no answer at quarterback for Jacksonville for years, it seems like. And it just, to me, you're, that the valuable time that he could have had with the ones to develop chemistry, not just get a, accustomed to the speed of the NFL, but also rapport, chemistry, timing with his receivers, understanding of the pocket that is, his offensive line is going to give to him. He missed out a lot of that. And if it was truly split 50-50 like they had talked about doing with him and Minshew, that's, you're at a 50% decrease or decline compared to where Zach Wilson is going to be come week one. I, I, again, I mean, we'll see what happens moving forward. Uh, still, Trevor Lawrence still has a lot to learn. But again, you look at what the New York Jets have done and done well with Zach Wilson. Uh, you would have thought that that would have not, not even been the blueprint. That's the way the Jaguars should have gone. Yep. And then you have one to you talk about quarterbacks not having a good quarterback. Uh, the Denver Broncos really haven't had a good answer at quarterback since Peyton Manning left. You have the likes of Brock Osweiler, Jeff Driscoll, Drew Locke, the Drew Locke experience that they're going through. Uh, but Teddy Bridgewater comes in, has two great preseason performances for them, wins the job going forward, beating out Drew Locke. Got to say, if you look at what Teddy was able to do in the two preseason performances, it's not really that big of a surprise. Forget about that. I mean, anyone who's on Pro Football Network remembers that seven months ago, as we were leaving the uh, Senior Bowl practices, I had reported right then from Senior Bowl practices that I was hearing people were saying there was concerns about Drew Locke in Denver because they had to slim down the playbook because he couldn't handle the entire playbook. I also reported that George Payton was telling people we can do a lot better at the at quarterback than Drew Locke. So bringing uh, a journeyman like Teddy Bridgewater and handing him you know, uh, the starting job really should not be a surprise. This is just a continuation of not only what I heard, but what I reported late January, early February from this year. Now, I, I think the interesting thing is, why didn't they go quarterback with that ninth selection of the draft? Or was it the uh, ninth selection, uh, tenth selection of the draft? Why, did they go, why didn't they go quarterback? Why did they take Patrick Sertain? I mean, did they really believe that they had a chance to acquire Aaron Rodgers in a trade? I don't know that we're ever going to find out the answer, but you know, they left Matt Jones and Justin Fields sitting there. They went with the bigger cornerback, which was a need, but I mean, the writing for Drew Locke being on his way out in Denver, or at least losing the starting job was written a long time ago. As I reported, uh, it'll be, it'll be fun to see if we ever find out, you know, the bottom line as to, did they really think they had a chance to trade or acquire Aaron Rodgers? in a trade, which is why they uh, passed up a quarterback and took Patrick Sertain at 10. Yeah, and with Teddy Bridgewater and the familiarity with George Payton as well from their time at Minnesota together with Payton was the AGM there, not GM. 
that move made sense to me, not picking a quarterback. It, they're in, in my mind, the, the Broncos are in this sort of flux state. They're not quite in a rebuild. They're not quite good enough to win against the chiefs and, and win the AFC West. So they're hoping what a wild card spot. And, but the, to me, a, a quarterback is what they're missing. Maybe Teddy's the guy, you know, obviously take it with a pinch of salt, a grain of salt to the preseason performance that he's been able to showcase. He can win some games, I guess. He's looked good at times. So it's very interesting to see where the Broncos do go from there. But, yeah, the writing was on the wall for Drew to not only not be an NFL starting quarterback, but especially not the quarterback in Denver going forward. That and, the head, and the head coach, Vic Fangio, needs to win now. I, I mean, there was talk last year whether they were going to keep him around, and they did. I, I mean, seven and nine, eight and eight is not going to secure Vic Fangio for the 2022 season. He's got to win now. And obviously, he and I'm sure the general manager, George Payton, believe that uh, Teddy Bridgewater gives Denver a team that's got a lot of good pieces to it, a team that's got, uh, has got some talent, uh, the best opportunity to win now. Yeah, an aging defense, I think, would be maybe the biggest issue, an offensive line that's got a couple of holes, but maybe Bridgewater bridges that gap, so to speak. Uh, but speaking about it, I mentioned it briefly too right before then. It, we go from 80 players on roster right now to 53 by next Tuesday. We just went from 85 to 80, previously 90 to 85. To you, though, do you have a biggest surprise rookie that's been cut so far? Well, I do. First thing is we got to give a plug to the Pro Football Network Cuts Tracker. I, I mean, it is a terrific tool. Rather than going to a place like ESPN and looking at every team's cuts, I mean, you could break it down by position. Uh, and if you're, you know, a draft geek like me and you want to see which players were selected in the draft or, or which uh, priority free agents were cut, uh, the Pro Football Network Cuts Tracker is is outstanding and they update it uh, every single day. So I highly recommend that, which is where I got my information. Now, <laughs> it's been it, updated it, in real time, too. It's not even just every day. You got me, Adam Beasley and Dalton Miller running this Cuts Tracker thing right now. So I'm missing out on valuable time to do this, which I'm happy to do because, man, that uh, it's, it's getting excruciating here. Tuesday is going to be pretty rough for us. Oh, yeah, I was going to say it ain't going to be much fun for the next week and a half. <laughs> uh, you know, first thing is this. If you are cut at this point in time, it's one of a, three things. Either one, you're injured. Two, you're just – you're not playing – it's not – you show no motivation to play. Or three, you really stink. I mean, it, it's one of those uh, those three. Now, I was really surprised by the cut of the, the – when the Niners cut uh, receiver Austin Watkins, but he has a foot injury. The Niners cut him, and they were able to bring him back and put him on injured reserve. Uh, Raymond Calais, the uh, running back from the Rams – Another situation where he was injured and they cut him. I don't know that he's been picked up since. Maybe you can tell me because you're in charge of the cuts tracker. I think the one that kind of really caught me off guard being cut this early was Javian Hawkins, uh, the running back from Louisville, who the Falcons cut. He was an undrafted free agent, wasn't selected in the draft. But really, when I looked at him, I thought he would have been a, a perfect complement, sort of a third down back, a guy that you can give the ball in the space, use him as a receiver out of the backfield, as well as line him up as a return specialist to return punts and to sign him you know, as a, a priority free agent because I was surprised he didn't get selected late in the draft, cut him this early. I mean, I know they have a uh, the new coach there, and, and the new coach had a lot of has had a lot of success with the bigger backs, a la Derrick Henry, when he was in Tennessee, and that's definitely not what Javian Hawkins is. But I thought he would have added a bit of you know playmaking ability to that offense. I found that very surprising that he was cut so early in camp, Javian Hawkins. 
Yeah, I found that one interesting as well. I think Calais still has to pass waivers before he can be thrown on the, the injured reserve. I think we're a day or maybe we're a couple hours here ahead of when he when he does clear. So that one, I saw the Bears just released Javon Wims as well. So that one, not a rookie, but that one sort of got to me. And I guess they're trying to figure out what that receiving core looks like going forward. Uh, so that one that one caught me off guard, just, just speaking of today and the most recent cuts as we work to get 27 860 plus players gone over the next uh, four or five days before next tuesday so uh, it's going to be some pretty crazy waters in the free agency pool going forward uh, but that's uh that's the nfl let's talk about college football but before i do i, I do want to also you know reiterate this today's show between the hashes is being brought to you by manscaped uh free shipping and 20 percent off over on manscaped.com using simply pfn for pro football network Again, I did truly. My wife even caught me and was like, "Hey, man, you, you what's going on there?" I turned around. And I was like, "Good." I, I did. I did my best Jerry Seinfeld influx on my voice as well. Your wife caught you. That's more information than I think of you. <laughs> you know, I was trying to find a good way to weave these in. I, the best way I could do it was the Seinfeld reference, and you know, no, I, now Alex thinks I'm naturally hairless. So you know, we'll, I'll leave my Seinfeld references uh, at the door next time. So, college football week zero. Though we have five big time matchups, I guess, for week zero, when you're typically looking at an FBS versus a, an FCS school. Now we have at least Nebraska versus Illinois. An interesting program. One's on the downcline or decline, one's on the up, uptick. But I'd rather, I think, before we talk about them, I think I wanted to throw it to you about possibly a big named small school quarterback that we've we've discussed here or or somebody else that you wanted to discuss specifically well somebody we haven't discussed actually you know everyone's looking for the next trey lance and i don't see a trey lance out there right now but remember this name jeremy hickbottom 6'4 220 pounds had previously played at grambling transferred to tennessee state he's not officially on the tennessee state roster though he is practicing with the team I'm told scouts that have gone through Tennessee State to watch the uh, practices absolutely love this guy. Six foot four, goes just under 220 pounds. He's got a major league arm. He's very accurate. He's athletic. And he's also someone that no one is talking about. So the area scouts that have gone through Tennessee State come out of there raving about Jeremy Hickbottom. Obviously, the guy, he hasn't played much football lately. Grambling State did not play last year. Uh, Tennessee State at one point in time was a, a school that constantly turned out a small school program that constantly turned out decent NFL prospects. It's been a little bit dry there lately, but I think Hickbottom is uh, is a guy who could really start to elevate it to some of the heights we had previously seen about 10 years ago. Keep an eye on that. Decent conference. Uh, hopefully get some TV time this year. I know Tennessee State, you have, have to have one of the direct TV uh, cable, uh, not cable, direct TV packages to uh, get Tennessee State. Uh, unless you're in that area. But that is a guy that's getting a lot of chatter in scouting circles and somebody to keep an eye on. Jeremy Hickbottom, I literally just wrote him down in my notes because now I'm going to go look myself uh, and see what I can dig up and also see that TV schedule. I feel like if uh, if they play Jackson State this year, and that's when you get them on TV yeah. maybe with Coach they, well, Prime. Yeah, that game's usually on every year. They always uh, – that, that's a pretty uh, – I know it's I want to say a rivalry, but that's a, a traditional small small school college game that uh, usually finds its way on the air somehow or another. That was always always one of the ones that I watched was F, Florida A and M versus Bethune Cookman. Being a, a kid from Daytona who went to school in Tallahassee, that was always a game that I loved to watch. The 
that classic. So let's move on, though. Week zero's marquee game, if you want to call it a marquee game. It could have been a marquee game. It was supposed to be played in Ireland, I believe, before COVID struck. Uh, but now we're left with Nebraska at Illinois. Scott Frost likely on his way out. Brett Belima on his way in at Illinois after a failed Arkansas experience. But specifically with you here, I would like to discuss the prospects to watch and give give people some names and some things to look for at Nebraska and at Illinois. I guess we can start with the Nebraska kids first off. I feel like I want to throw it to the quarterback, but I, I started Adrian Martinez and then move on from there maybe. I think that's probably the best way to go, being the most polarizing position of the most polarizing team playing this weekend. Well, I mean, looking at overall, there's only one player in Nebraska that I got a draftable grade on. That's Jojo Doman, the linebacker, who I think is underrated. Adrian Martinez, I, you know, he's a good college quarterback at times, very inconsistent, just does not project well to the next level or doesn't project well as a quarterback. Maybe he moves to another position. I think the big thing about Adrian Martinez is, will he still be the starting quarterback for Nebraska, you know, come November, December, especially if things uh, don't go well? Uh, you know, Jojo Doman is, is a slightly undersized but instinctive and hardworking linebacker, constantly around the ac- action. Scouts have given him uh, priority freeze and grades. I think he's more of a six-rounder. Uh, Cameron Jurgens, the center, who looked really good in 2019, but I thought took a step back last year. He's just off the – he's a, a six-round uh, prospect on my board, but I think he's got the ability to move up. The draft board in this game is heavily tilted towards Illinois, who I think under Brett Lima is going to have a winning season and will make a minor bowl game, which is uh, something major for them. I think they've only done it once the past five or six years. Top uh, prospect right now is Jacob Hansen, the inside linebacker. Not the fastest guy in the world, not the most physically imposing, but a smart, instinctive playmaker that finds his way to the action, does a good job uh, – against the run, gets depth on his pass drops, shows relative skill in pursuit, although, like I said, he's not the fastest guy in the world. He, he's just someone, I think he goes in the fifth round, or I should say I have him as a fifth rounder right now. I don't want to uh, put the cart in front of the horse. Right now I have him as a fifth rounder. Good workouts before the draft. I think regardless, he's someone that's going to make an NFL roster or a depth chart as a seventh linebacker special teams player. Uh, uh, Daniel Barker, the tight end, again, real good football player, not a great athlete, catches the ball very well, gets uh, finds his way down the seam, not a true sprinter, not a guy that's going to win out foot races, but someone who could be a second or third tight end at the next level. Verdanian Lowe's been one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite under the radar prospects, I should say, the past three years. Plays left tackle for Illinois. I think he's going to be a guard at the next level, moves relatively well. Goes 325 pounds. You know, he's almost like a dancing bear out there. It's a term people like to throw around. I think he could be a uh, a zone-blocking uh, guard at the next level. Illinois has got some good linebackers to, that project well next level. Kalon Tolson, Tariq Barnes. You got Roderick Perry, who transferred over from, what was it, North Carolina A&T. He's coming back for his super senior season. Uh Again, it, it, it's very heavy. The board is very he- heavy tilted towards Illinois. Obviously, the quarterback, Brandon Peters, who we talked about in one of our first episodes. Be surprised if Illinois doesn't come out of here with a, with a W. I know. I couldn't believe that they're actually a seven-point underdog at this rate. Yeah. I don't see anything on Nebraska that makes me think that they're a touchdown better than Illinois at this point going forward. 
Seven point also, underdog at home. At home to boot, right? You, so you got to you gotta swing it two and a half, three points with fans in the stands too. Maybe even get that full three point. I, don't, I think Illinois wins outright. I think that this is Daniel Barker's time right now. Obviously, you have Doman who can – I thought his best feature right now that he's shown has been coverage. So maybe that is the matchup to watch, a specific exclusive draft matchup to watch. Doman, when he lines up over top of Barker, if Peters can get him the ball. One thing Belima is obviously known for is that offensive line coaching. So if you have Lowe and you have Kramer on that offensive line yeah. specifically, you got to think that if players from this team that can maybe help their draft stock going forward, it's the Belima influence over them as well going forward. So – I like it. There's a lot of things to look out for, a lot of things to to specifically watch in this game. It's one o'clock kickoff on the East Coast. Uh, how could you not be watching? I'm not going to lie. We'll be live blogging it as well. I will be doing some score updates and some highlights uh, at one o'clock on ProFootballNetwork.com. So that's I'm, I'm incredibly excited about as well. It should be a lot of fun this weekend. I just I couldn't believe that they were a seven point uh, underdog going forward. And I also can't believe that Hawaii is a three-touchdown underdog at UCLA, given Chip Kelly's uh, inability to win out-of-conference games and, and season openers like we've talked about. But, yeah, is there anything else that we're looking forward to this weekend from a draft prospect perspective in the other games? No, not really. I mean, UConn takes the field for the first time since, what, 2019 because they voluntarily sat out. <laughs> I think the UConn travels to Fresno State. UConn's got some decent draft prospects but they are just a terrible program. I mean, they got kicked out of the AAC. It's been all downhill since Randy Etzel returned to UConn. First time he was there, he took him to a BCS bowl game against Oklahoma, if you remember that. And then he got on the pl- team, got on a plane to go home. He got on the plane to go to Maryland and sign a contract and then went on to destroy that program. And I always come back to uh, really put the nail in the UConn coffin. <laughs> I'm sorry to say it like that, but that's true because I remember when UConn was a good program under him. They've got some decent uh, draft prospects. They go to Fresno State. I'd be surprised if uh, UConn can keep uh, keep the game within 21 points. Uh, UConn football, the, the, the future is in flux. Are they going to stay 1A? They've got no conference. You know, uh, I, I mean, maybe they can play UMass 12 times a year and either have a winning record or a, uh, a 500 split. record. It's Who knows? At that point, I think at that rate. So. Uh, I, this is a, to me, it's a showcase game for Jake Hayner at Fresno state, the Washington transfer who averaged 383 yards a game in the COVID season last year. I love that offense for Fresno state. And I just think Hayner, this is a showcase game for him to maybe put himself on the map from a group of five quarterback perspective. I love his ability. He's going to battle with Hank Bachmeyer for top mountain West quarterback, not named Carson strong this season. So I think that's a, another interesting storyline uh, going forward. Week zero though is literally around the corner. Uh, seven, what's it, 48 hours away at this rate uh, at time of record. So uh, to be to be excited, I think, is an understatement for me going forward with the amount of college content we're going to do at Pro Football Network this season as well. So uh, before we get to it, though, actually, before we record next week's show, there will already be week one games that take place. UAB going to Jacksonville State. Tyler Johnston the third playing his what feels like 20th season at UAB had there been enough time or UAB actually had a program for him to be there. So Tyler Johnston, fun to watch. We'll have we'll probably talk about him next Thursday on, on next week's show. So, yeah, if if, if you watch that game, oh, you actually, you know, if you want the skinny, I should say go to my go to the conference previews that were posted throughout the summer uh, on Pro Football Network. We have a I have a breakdown on every single team, and then I have rankings for the entire conference. I'm looking to hear Conference USA 
uh, graded 106 players, graded and ranked 106 players. UAB's got a terrific tackle by the name of Kadeem Telfort, 6'7 335 pounds, uh, arms which are reportedly over 36 inches long, uh, plays left tackle for UAB. He's going to be, uh, I believe, a good developmental right tackle at the next level. So if you're wondering, you know, you, you want the Temple Rutgers game is Thursday night. Uh, boy, uh, UCF plays uh, Thursday night. We, you know, go, you can find information on the next next level prospects. We've already talked about one of the uh, the UCF uh, players on this podcast, the receiver uh, Jalen Robinson, who I'm told uh, he's a fourth year junior, who I'm told is very likely to enter the draft. I have him as a third round uh, prospect. You know, you go go to Pro Football Network. <clears throat> you can look up the uh, conference previews, find out the information on the teams. Find out the information on all the next level prospects in that conference. I have all my spreadsheets that I use on my own. I'm not going to lie. I go in there and I overwrite what I do once I see what you published on the website. So I may rank players and then I'm like, eh, it's not good enough. Here's what Tony said. And then I do my own from there. So it's incredibly helpful to me. I can't be the only person that finds your massive draft board and grades helpful as well. So as always, I learn something every time we talk. It's a privilege and a pleasure to start this college football season with you here. Three episodes in, a lot more to come all the way through the the end of the NFL draft season, I believe. So let's get after some college football week zero action this week. Enjoy ourselves. Enjoy yourself. Uh, And as always, one last time, I won't do it with a Seinfeld reference. Between the Hashes today was brought to you by Manscaped. uh, Promo code PFN, 20% off and free shipping on your orders, manscaped.com. Uh, For Tony Pauline, I am Cam Miller. As always, thank you.